in his commentary on the letter to Galatians. John McGorman writes in the introduction, Legalism is this world's religion. Legalism is this world's religion. Legalism has to do with control. It has to do with power. Such legalism in the world's religions is seen in the extreme of ISIS, where man's promises are made for man and women's response. It's seen in the ancient but still prevalent Ku Klux Klan that claims a Christian background, which is absolutely impossible. But through legalism, has followers in obedience. All the cults have legalism at their root. And often it's expressed in how people become followers and give their lives for certain results, certain promises. There's an element of legalism, of control in high school bullying, in the drug use amongst our teens and adults from the pressure of someone else. And legalism is included in the religion of the Old Testament. Includes all religions. We behave a certain way and we're rewarded in a certain manner. And even amongst Canadians, if a survey was done, as I've done many times and some of you have, amongst Canadian churchgoers, when asked the question of their assurance of heaven, the typical answer will be, if you live a certain good life, you can be assured of heaven. Whatever good life means. The definition of that good life has changed significantly since I began preaching in the 60s. And nonetheless, it's a common answer. And cultural changes in our Western world influence what that means. We are never done with legalism, which is a threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never done. Paul himself, in writing to the Galatians, came as an experienced Hebrew. Paul was brought up in a system of Hebrew legalism and training. But by God's grace in Paul's life, he became the greatest spokesperson for what is called the the evangel, the good news, right? Legalism on one side, the evangel on the other. Clashing and contradictory, opposite poles, 
opposite power. It is a contrasting concept we find in Galatians. Legalism and the evangel. Some of you have friends like I do who send me stuff all the time on the internet. And this one particular friend of mine sends stuff. I have no idea where he gets it or where he has the time to put it online, but he does. And so every few days, Judy and I will get an email from Steve, and it's fascinating stuff. And I want to share just a bit, and then I'll make, I will make a connection. This week he sent us pictures of signs that have been found all over probably the Western world, but I don't, you never know where they're from. Pictures of signs. And I only mention a couple, but here is one that says, Ants are healthy because they have little antibodies. And another sign reads, the first five days after the weekend are the hardest. But the one that caught my attention this week was the one I want to tie in to us this morning. The sign reads, between two evils, I always pick the one I've never tried. Because we have choice. We have choice to follow the legalism route. We have made many of us choices to follow the evangel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we get into briefly, of course, this morning, the letter to the Galatians, we find a couple of notes to make. First of all, that Paul becomes very personal in verse 19 that Hiroko read in chapter 4, verse 19. He says, and he writes, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Basically what has happened is he's writing a letter, which I'll only briefly touch on, but he's writing a letter to a church he planted. And he's heard things about the congregations, presumably in the plural, we believe, in the area of Galatia. And so he turns and he writes. And, and because of what has happened in their midst, he's, it's like he's birthing them all over again. And his heart is in pain. He uses an expression only here in Paul's letters. Only in this verse 19 does he say, my dear children. But you say, George, I've seen that so much. Yes, you have. But you've seen it in the writings of John. Only here in the writing of Paul. And in verse 9 of chapter 4, he says, Why are you turning back? Verses 8 and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by very nature are not gods. Legalism. But now that you know God, or rather are known by Him, as we sang this morning, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Miserable forces of sin. Miserable forces of disobedience. Miserable forces of legalism that you're returning to by choice. 
Why is it that he writes? Why are you doing that? And then in verse 11, we hear and read Satan's main tool this morning, don't we? In verse 11, the tool of discouragement. He writes, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Have you ever felt that way about a loved one who's drifting away from the Lord, who's drifting away from their faith? I've prayed for you. I love you. What is happening to you? It's the essence of Galatians. Briefly, I said what has happened is some traveling Hebrew Christians have moved into the Galatian churches after Paul has left and gone on to other ministries, after he's been amongst them and was actually ill, and we believe the illness was a problem with his sight, and he was, he was helped by the Galatians, and he was there and ministered and planted churches, and then he left the area, and these Hebrew believers have returned to try to straighten out the church and insist that you have to be, as a believer, a Hebrew as well. Return to the legalism of the Hebrew faith. Circumcision and all those kinds of legalistic jargon. They're coming and saying, you must go back to that. You cannot be a full believer unless you come under the umbrella of a form of legalism once again. And they're struggling with this in the Galatian church. And so he writes the letter of Galatians as a result. And so today, with world religions, legalism, and family pressures, we come briefly to look at a message from Paul to the church. I want to tell you a brief story, and then I want to give an invitation. It's a story of a man who lived in the city of Iconium. He was a carpenter and had become involved with a woman who, who he cared for very much. His business was doing well, and his girlfriend was very dear to him. Our man, his name is Tim, often sought information from sorcerers and witches regarding his business. Sometimes he would check out the astronomy people and try to to help them make his business decisions more wisely, just as some of his business associates were doing. <clears throat> this process of seeking other resources for his business and other sources of information, sometimes even you, uh, caused him to use a horoscope. His girlfriend had gotten involved with another couple who for a number of months had a particular a particularly blind man visiting in their house. Tim visited these friends often and got to know this visitor whose name was Paul. He was a Jew from Tarsus. Paul was a very interesting storyteller and spoke much of Jesus, who was also a carpenter. And as they continued to learn about this Jesus through Paul, they discovered that he died, but that Paul was his disciple, even though he died. 
As Tim got to know Paul even better, he listened to more of his stories. He learned that Paul believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, was alive, and coming back to the earth someday. The stories got more interesting over the months until finally Tim and his girlfriend believed what Paul was teaching them. They together became deeply in love with Jesus and his marvelous life. They professed Christ as their Savior and Lord. Tim got married and began to raise a family and changed the way he lived. He no longer used the horoscope nor spent money on gambling. He was a different man. As time passed, life got more difficult for Tim and his family. And often his expenses were greater than the income. And the baby kept him awake at nights. And he began to refer back to his old ways. Paul had long since gone on his way. Tim hadn't heard from Paul for years. Tim got out of the habit of his quiet, private time with the Lord and praying with his family. Work was scarce and his mortgage payments were difficult to make and one day he started to gamble again. Maybe he could get enough to get a little bit ahead, take his wife on a boat trip to Cyprus. The gambling was hooking into him as it had before. One week, while he was visiting the church fellowship. A letter arrived from Paul. There was excitement and people quietly listened as the pastor read the letter to them. And the letter reminded Tim of the results of knowing God intentionally through knowing and learning about Jesus. And Timothy learned from the letter several things this morning. Timothy learned, first of all, that knowing God personally had stopped his gambling and his astrology, which made no difference in his life anyway. He'd stopped being a slave to chance. He realized he did not have to return to that stuff, that legalistic jargon when he was under stress. For God was there for him still. God does make a difference in our lives, folks. It is so good to remember this when we're lost, when we're discouraged, when we're broke or suffering. An elderly gentleman was walking with his young grandson. How far are we from home? He asked his grandson. The boy answered, Grandpa, I don't know. The grandfather asked, Well, where are you? Again, the boy answered, I don't know. Then the grandfather said good-naturedly, Sounds to me like you're lost. The young boy looked up at his grandfather and said, Nope. I can't be lost. I'm with you. 
Ultimately, that is the question of lostness this morning. For those of us who've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are being reminded this morning that we've drifted from those, from that discipline, we've drifted from that walk, we've drifted from that prayer life, we found ourselves back in the old ways. I'm with you. Secondly, Tim learned and realized that God had brought Paul to their fellowship in the first place when he was sick, when he had trouble seeing. God had also had this letter arrive, sent to them to the congregation for him, Tim, for his need to be reminded of his faith in Jesus Christ. The letter was for him. God was still involved in his life. Even though he might not have been unaware of it. God was involved in his life even if he'd forgotten. Even if he'd drifted. The story of modern missions tells of missionaries whose plans have been changed by the Holy Spirit. Judson wanted to go to India, but the course was changed when he went to Burma instead. When David Livingstone was 12 years of age, he read the appeal for missionaries to go to China, and Livingstone decided to go to China. And the next decision was that he would become a medical missionary. And with this view, he began to complete his medical studies. And about the time that Livingstone was ready to go, the opium war broke out, and English people could not go to China. Robert Moffat was in England at the time, telling of the story of the South African mission. Livingston was interested in Moffat's story and said, What's the use of waiting for the end of the abdominal opium war? I will go at once to Africa. Thus the Holy Spirit led Livingston to Africa, and the dreadful slave trade was laid bare to the world. By faith in Christ, we are benefactors of God's grace this morning and goodness and his intervention. It's a result of God knowing you and me so intimately and us knowing him. It's called the evangel. It's called the good news of Jesus Christ. Lastly, Tim learned, as a result of this letter, was that he had made some dear friends over the years. Over these years in the congregation, he had developed a relationship with a home fellowship. And he and his wife attended this home group regularly. These friends that Tim had made would do anything for them. They stood by him when his finances were short because work was slow. They brought food to his house and babysat the now three children when he needed to take his wife out for a break. Several of his male friends had fixed his chariot so he could continue to use it for work. God had really made a difference in Tim's life, and he realized as he listened to Paul's letter again that day, what he had nearly lost. 
These were big results in his life. He could not give them up. Tim wanted desperately to go on modeling this lifestyle to his children who were now growing up fast, who were watching the way he lived every day. Just think, he'd been almost convinced by some traveling evangelists to give it all up for that return to a legalistic lifestyle where others have power over us and determine our decisions and direct our lives. Humans directing the lives of other humans. He realized he almost given up Jesus, friendship, and caring. You may this morning be a little bit like Tim, about whom I have read today. You may be debating this morning whether you should stick with your walk with Jesus. Whether you should reinvigorate your Bible reading your prayer life, your relationship with other believers from whom you've walked away. You may be debating whether the strategies for living in our particular society and culture are more appealing than your faith in Jesus Christ. That there are structures and ideas that can get you where you want to go if you just follow that person's lead. You may, with Tim, need to decide today that your behavior needs to change. That the results you're getting are not adequate. That the life you're living, forgetting about your relationship to Jesus, is not proving, giving the results you thought it would. This morning, as we are about to pray, You may be saying with me, George, the letter of Paul to the Galatians has caught me too. And I have followed other ways and I have drifted from the Lord and I have taken on other means and I have let other things uh, uh, control me and become a legalistic structure in my life. And this morning, Paul's letter to the Galatians has caught me too.